right, wonderful. Okay, let's take our Bibles this morning and let's go to 1 Peter, all right? 1 Peter, as we're looking through the epistle of 1 Peter on Sunday mornings after we finish up the life, uh, his life, we studied through that for a little while. But as we come back to 1 Peter this morning, as I always want to do, I want to remind us of the main purpose behind the writing of Peter. And he's writing for this main purpose, all right? He's writing to strengthen the brethren. Just as Jesus told him to do one day in Luke twenty-two thirty-two, when Jesus said, looking at Peter, he said, When thou art converted, meaning when you return, when you come back, when thou art converted, strengthen thy brethren. And so that's what Peter, he is trying to do just that. He is trying to strengthen the believers during his first century. But, but why do they need strength? Why at this moment do the believers need great encouragement? Well, it's because keep in mind, in, in this time in the history, these precious believers were really going through the ringer. They were suffering greatly. They were going through great persecution. They were suffering loss. They were being hauled off to prison, no doubt being tortured, and yes, even being put to death, all from the cruel hand of Nero, who was the leader of that time. So as they're going through that, you and I both, we, if we were going through that, would need great strength in these uncertain days. But the strength that they needed was not necessarily a physical strength or a financial strength or a military strength or political strength, though that may have been very well welcomed, okay? But that's not the strength that they needed. Rather, the strength that these believers needed was going to be found as Peter sits down and gives them great hope. That's the strength they needed. Hope through the fiery trials, which is to try them. Hope through the pain they are facing and will endure. Just hope for the very next day. And we've established this, but I want to remind you again, the hope we talk of and speak of is not a wishful thinking. It's not, I'm going to cross my fingers and throw a coin in a wishing well and hope this works out type of hope. No, no, no. The hope that we speak of and the hope that we have as believers is a confident assurance that is based upon, that is founded upon the promises and person of God. That's real hope. And that's what they needed. They needed that hope badly. And guess what? We need it today as well. But how and where can we find it? Well, we find it in the same place that these believers in the first century found. We find it from the very pages of eternal scripture. We find it as we get into the very word of God. We will find our hope. We will find our strength. Because understand, the pages of scripture, the word of God is never outdated. It is relevant for every situation and season of life. Scripture, there's great sufficiency found in the Word of God. And I want you to know confidently this morning, you can trust your Bible. So if you need hope, you can find it in the Word of God. All right? So keep all that in mind. I'm going to give that introduction every single time we come to a new message in 1 Peter and 2 Peter. Because that's what he's trying to do, give hope and strengthen the brethren. So to come back to chapter 1 of Peter, we're going to be in verses 18 through 21 for the message this morning. And if you're taking notes... The title of this morning's message is this, Finding Hope in Our Redemption. Finding Hope in Our Redemption. Look at that with me. 1 Peter chapter 1, and we're going to start in verse 18. The Bible says, For as much as you know that you were not redeemed with corruptible things as silver and gold 
from your vain conversation received by tradition from your fathers, but with the precious blood of Christ, as of a lamb without blemish, without spot, who verily was foreordained before the foundation of the world, but was manifest in his last times for you, who by him do believe in God that raised him up from the dead and gave him glory, that your faith and, there's a key word, hope might be in God. Our Father, as we come to this portion of Scripture this morning, how encouraging it is, how hopeful it really is as we consider this great truth of our redemption. And I pray, Lord, you'd help us to understand it a little bit more, just a little, if that's all, just a little. And may it stir joy and peace in our hearts this morning. And may it stir us to be more of a hopeful people because of our redemption. We love you. Thank you for loving us. In Jesus' name, amen. Now I want you to know this verse here in verse 18, uh, this word rather in verse 18, uh, redeemed is a fantastic word. But it means this. It means to liberate. It, it means to cause to be released by payment of ransom. It means to purchase release by paying a price. And for these scattered believers that Peter is writing to to encourage and strengthen them, this word as they came across it no doubt should have given them great liberty, should have given them great joy, great peace. It should have strengthened them. And listen, it should have given them great hope knowing that they have been bought with a price and yet set Free, knowing they have been redeemed. So let's consider our redemption this morning, all right? And the first point I want to see is this. Number one, I want you to notice there is a phony redemption, okay? Again, look at verse number 18. For as much as you know that you were not redeemed with corruptible things as silver and gold from your vain conversation received by tradition from your fathers. Now, these individuals, they have heard of a type of redemption from their previous uh, forefathers, if you will. But the, what they knew about in their tradition was, well, it wasn't real. It wasn't the real thing. Understand, as we look at this verse number 18 here, keep in mind the definition of redemption, that it does mean to liberate, to cause to be released, to purchase release by paying a ransom. As you think of that, understand that brings with us the idea that there is a great cost, is there not? A great cost to redemption. And as these believers would read this, and even those other believers who may not have been Jewish by, by, by birth, of course, other Gentile believers reading this, they would have known what that word really meant. Because at this time in history, at this time in history, in the first century, uh, redemption was very costly because, meaning being bought and set free, because at this time there was over 60 million slaves in the Roman Empire alone. But many of those slaves, they did turn towards into Christianity. They turned to the Lord through the preaching of Paul and other apostles as they would meet each other on the road, yes, but even in prison. Uh, that's where Paul met a lot of these guys, all right? And uh, in fact, one of your books in, in the Bible is named after a slave owner of a, of a man who Paul met in prison. And, but it's Onesimus. Paul met him in prison and shared with him the gospel, was able to lead him to the Lord. But he wrote a letter to Onesimus, uh, that's a hard word to say, but uh, to his master, all right? 
His name was Philemon, and Paul knew him well. They were friends. But Paul encouraged Philemon, say, he told him, look, don't, don't receive him as a servant any longer, but rather entreat him as, as a brother. But understand, during this time, uh, slaves during this time, to be able to be redeemed from their slavery meant they had to buy their freedom, uh, that they had to purchase their own freedom through acquired funds, which have been very difficult to do. So a lot of times they relied on this. They relied on their master to sell them to someone, <clears throat> someone else who could pay for their freedom. That's what they really relied upon. In any case, their freedom, though, was going to be very costly. Their redemption was going to be very costly. And Peter knew this. But as Peter is writing, he is not referring to their redemption in a <clears throat> physical sense. He is not talking about them being set free from physical bondage. Rather, he is talking to these dear believers, giving them hope, letting them know of their spiritual redemption, of being set free from the slavery of sin and the payment thereof. The wages of sin is death. He is talking about the redemption from all of that, but yet that redemption is still quite costly. Being free from the sin and the penalty thereof is quite costly. I want you to know that. And sadly, down through the years, down through the centuries, people have been trying to pay their own way, pay their own cost, their own ransom, by their own release from the penalty of their sin. Down through the years, trying to do it themselves. You can even see it in Scripture. And for time's sake, I'll just look at one in Acts chapter 8 where Philip the evangelist was preaching in Samaria and many people were turning to the Lord. Peter came down to check out what was going on. And as he came to town, he was met by a man by the name of Simon. And Simon at one point in Acts chapter number 8 was a sorcerer. And Simon observed a lot of the healings and the power from the hand of the apostles and noticed what was going on uh, through them and by them. And uh, he wanted that same power. He wanted to be able to cast out demons. He wanted to be able to heal people. And so this is what he said to Peter in Acts chapter number 8. The Bible says, Acts 8, 18, verse 20. And when Simon saw that through the laying on of the apostles' hands the Holy Ghost was given, he offered them money, saying, Give me also this power, that on whomsoever I lay hands he may receive the Holy Ghost. But Peter said unto him, Thy money perish with thee. Because thou hast thought that the gift of God may be purchased with money. Understand Simon the sorcerer, he had a false notion that he could somehow get the gift of God by buying it, by purchasing it, by giving Peter cold hard cash for the power of the Holy Ghost. But understand the Holy Ghost is not for sale, okay? Well, understand salvation is not for sale. Redemption cannot be bought by us. It cannot we cannot buy redemption through the things of this world. And that's why Peter said what he said in verse 18. You're not redeemed with corruptible things as silver and gold. Corruptible here meaning things that decay, things that will perish, things that do and will break down and rust. They will decay. They're corruptible. And the things that Peter used in conjunction with corruptible things was that of silver and gold. And silver and gold at this time was a very high valuable commodity of the day. You see, they would use silver and gold to buy lands, to buy, yes, even kingdoms and governments and, of course, pay off politicians. Uh, they would use silver and gold to uh, prevent invading countries to uh, not attack them. And when they did attack, I found this interesting, that when they did attack and they did take 
prisoners of war. They would use silver and gold to redeem their own soldiers who are now prisoners of the other country. You see, the Greek word lutero is the word for redeemed in our text, and that was the term used to buy back a prisoner of war. So they would buy back their own soldiers with silver and gold, and that was the standard. It was a good enough standard for the Greeks and for others during this time, and even today, look, you want to buy something? Yeah, you can probably do it with silver and gold, and hopefully it's back, or your cash, hopefully backed by silver and and gold won't go there anyway. But uh, silver and gold is still valuable, right? But here he is not talking about that with our redemption. He is not saying we can buy our redemption even though people still think they can. And Peter made it known where they learned that thought of thinking they could buy and receive their own redemption. When he said this, we receive from the tradition of our fathers, meaning their forefathers. That's where they learned that. But the tradition that he's referring to, be the, the tradition primarily handed down by the Jewish individuals from generation to generation, and they would elevate their tradition over the very Word of God itself. And Jesus had much to say about that type of tradition. And He denounced it over and over. Let me read one passage of Scripture to you in Matthew 15. Verses 3 through 9, the Bible says, But he answered and said unto them, Jesus speaking, Why do you also transgress the commandment of God by your tradition? For God commanded, saying, Honor thy father and mother, and he that curseth father or mother, let him die the death. But ye say, your oral tradition, your tradition, ye say, Whosoever shall say to his father or mother, it is a gift. But whatsoever thou mightest be profited by me, and honor not his father or his mother shall be, shall be free. Thus have you made, this is what he's saying to them, you have made the commandment of God, the word of God, of none effect by your tradition, ye hypocrites. Well did Isaiah prophesy of you, saying, This people draw nigh unto me with their mouth, and honoreth me with their lips, but their heart is far from me. In vain they did worship me, teaching the doctrines, the commandments of men. And no doubt Peter had this had this in mind or had this thought at least. He had heard this preaching from the lips of Jesus before and heard more such uh, preaching as, as well. But in this moment, Peter is just reminding them that we are not redeemed with corruptible things as you have been taught by the tradition of others. Yet sadly today, there's still many false religions in their tradition that still teach you can be redeemed by other means. You can pay for it yourself. Salvation can be purchased if you pay enough. You can buy indulgences. You can, you can uh, go on pilgrimages or you can pay penance to attain some kind of higher spirituality or whatever. Uh, they advocate for fasting and self-mutilation and able, or in, 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 in able to obtain uh, favor with God. These traditions of false religions, I'm telling you, still teach that today, but it's all wrong. There is no redemption in those things. So let me make it as plain as I can before we move on. Any attempt to purchase your redemption through good works, through being good enough and hoping your good works outweigh your bad, or through giving of money, or through any other form of fleshly showing, understand that is a phony redemption no matter how sincere you may be. That's what I'm trying to get at. 
We are not redeemed with corruptible things. We cannot buy our own true redemption. The Bible says in Ephesians 2, 8 and 9, For by grace are you saved through faith, and that not of yourselves. It is the gift of God, not of works, lest any man should boast. So yes, there are others out there today that propagate a phony redemption. You can find it in tradition. You can find it in doing this or doing that. No, no, no. You can't. There's a phony redemption. Number two, see this quickly. There is a pure redemption. There is a pure redemption, a real one. Now look again at verse number 18. For as much as you know that you are not redeemed with corruptible things as silver and gold from your vain conversation received by tradition of your fathers, but, I love that, but with the precious blood of Christ, as of a lamb without blemish and without spot. So we are not redeemed, bought, or purchased with corruptible things like silver and gold. Rather, our redemption has already been paid. And the price was something of much more value than any silver or gold. It is something that is of much more prized and treasured. As Peter said here, that is precious. That is a wonderful word, by the way. It simply means of great Price of highest price, something you cannot even pay for, something of utmost importance, something that is held in the highest of honor. And that prized, precious, treasured, honored payment for redemption was what? The blood of Christ. Understand Jesus shed gave His blood to pay for your sin and mine. It is and was the only thing that could ransom us and provide redemption for us. It's the only thing that could purchase redemption, the blood of Jesus Christ. I want you to know there are so-called theologians and preachers out there today that would try to water down that. They would try to water down the importance of the shed, literal shed blood, of Jesus, they would say it's more of a symbol than literal. It's more of a token than actual truth. It's more symbolic, and you don't need to really make a big deal about it. Well, they're wrong, okay? Because that's not Bible. They're absolutely wrong. Understand the shed blood of Jesus Christ is a big deal because without the literal shed blood of Christ, we have no remission, no forgiveness of sins. Hebrews 9.22, without the shedding of blood, there is no remissions. Listen, Jesus shedding His blood is a big deal, and Peter tries to make it a big deal here, especially in the wording that he uses as, he's, as through the Holy Spirit, he uses to describe the shed blood. Look at it again with me, verse 19, as Peter said this, as of a lamb without blemish and without spot, no doubt, Peter, being a Jewish man, writing to Jewish scattered believers, he no doubt had in mind the Passover as he wrote this down. Again, keep in mind the Passover was one of the most important feasts in Jewish history and probably the most celebrated. It would last upwards of seven days. I think Jewish people are more Baptist than they realize they're going to eat and have a feast for seven days. Amen. Or maybe we're more Jewish. I don't know. But anyway, they like to eat, okay? And so it's a seven-day feast, but the purpose of this feast was to commemorate the exodus of the Hebrews from the Egyptian bondage. And to accomplish this exodus, what did the Lord use? What did God do? 
Well, he used the ten plagues to finally get the attention of Pharaoh. And those ten plagues were the blood, frogs, lice, flies, pestilence, boils, hail, locusts, darkness. But the tenth one that finally got the attention of, of Pharaoh was the death of the firstborn in the family. And no doubt that evening there in Egypt, there were mothers and fathers who were weeping over the death of their firstborn. But understand, that did not have to happen. You see, God made a way, as He always does, to escape that plague and to escape that death. And the only way to get through or, or escape that plague was a literal shed blood sacrifice. And in that moment, the sacrifice was a spotless lamb. It had to be a lamb's blood that had to be applied to the post and mantle of the door. And as the death angel would come over those, those, those homes and saw the blood over the door, the, the Bible says he would pass over your house, hence the word Passover. And that household would be saved because of the literal shed blood of the lamb. And that was the only way to escape the last plague of Egypt. So that's the Passover in a nutshell. But every year since then, the Jews would celebrate Passover and to celebrate, every Jewish household or family would bring a lamb again to the temple and to, during the Feast of Passover. And that lamb had to be, again, one year old, had to be male, had to be without blemish. And the priest would take and examine the lamb to make sure it was pure without blemish and take the lamb and kill the lamb and prepare it for a meal for that specific household, all in recognition of the Passover, the salvation of the Lord from Egypt. But listen, everything that happened then, and every time they would commemorate the Passover since, it was just a painting. It was just a picture of what would take place on Mount Calvary as Jesus would die and shed His blood for the sins of the world. Because it was there on Mount Calvary where the Lamb of God, the Lord Jesus, would give Himself a sacrifice and literally shed His blood for the remission, for the forgiveness, for the propitiation of our sins. He gave His blood for you and for me. Listen to these verses. Acts 20, 28, Take heed therefore in yourselves and all the flock over the which the Holy Ghost hath made you overseers, to feed the church of God, which he hath purchased with his own blood. Ephesians 1, 7, In whom we have redemption through his blood, the forgiveness of sins according to the riches of his grace. Colossians 1, 14, In whom we have redemption through his blood, even the forgiveness of sins. Romans 5, 9, Much more than being now justified by his blood, we shall be saved from wrath through him. John 1.29, the next day John seeth Jesus coming unto him and saith, Behold the Lamb of God which taketh away the sin of the world. Hebrews 9.12, neither by the blood of goats and calves, but by his own blood he entered into once the holy place, having obtained, having acquired, achieved, procured, accomplished, having obtained eternal redemption for us. But how did he do that? Through his own blood. Revelation 1.5, unto him that loved us and washed us from our sins in his own blood. That is the price of pure redemption for all mankind. 
And it's not found in what we can do. Redemption, that is. But it's found in what Jesus has done. So no wonder the heavenly choir sings this song in Revelation 5, verse 11 and 12. And I beheld and heard the voice of many angels uh, round the throne and the beasts and elders and a number of them were 10,000 times 10,000 and thousands of thousands saying with a loud voice, Worthy is the Lamb that was slain to receive power and riches and wisdom and strength and honor and glory and blessing. I want you to know that Jesus is the only one worthy of you. Period. Because He's the only one to shed His blood completely for your redemption from the penalty of sin. He's the only one. He's worthy of you. Look at verse number 19 again. But with the precious blood of Christ, as of a lamb without blemish, without spot, that's pure redemption. Quickly notice this. I'm going to go fast. These last two, I promise. Number three, the plan of this redemption. Look at verse number 20. Who verily was foreordained before the foundation of the world was manifest in these last times for you. Quickly understand, Peter wanted these believers to know that our redemption, it was no afterthought. It was no, oh, oops. Oh, man. Adam and Eve done messed up. What am I going to do now? <laughs> oh, that Philip fella from Western North Carolina, he's a rascal. He has sinned. How am I going to help him? No, no, no. It was no afterthought. No, no. Our redemption was no accident. No, it's part of a plan. It was foreordained before the foundation of the world that when the fullness of time was come, God would send forth His Son made of a woman born, listen, as a babe in Bethlehem to live a perfect and sinless life and in due time lay down His life as the Lamb of God on the cross of Calvary in order to redeem them that are under the law so he might, be, might receive the adoption of sons, Galatians 4, 4 and 5. It was no accident. It was no afterthought. God knew the redemption that he would provide for whosoever believeth. He knew he would do that for the world through his son and his shed blood. Now, I'm not going to pretend that I completely know everything about that in full detail to the fullest. But I do understand that one day when we arrive in glory, we will... Know as we are even known, and we will sing that heavenly chorus of worthy is the Lamb. I'm thankful for the plan of redemption. And then lastly, see this the proof of it. Verse 21 Who by him do believe in God that raised him up from the dead and gave him glory that your faith and hope might be in God. Listen, the cross, the shed blood of Jesus was not the end of the story. The shedding was not all the end. Death was not final with God. No, we have the full redemption because we have a living Savior. And what did Jesus say? Because I live, you shall live also. We have a risen Savior. And all of this, all of because of the blood, the, the, the death, the redemption, the resurrection, all of this should have pointed these suffering saints to the great hope that they have in our great God. Because if God, listen, if God will go through all of this just to provide redemption for them, surely He can help them through these trials that are but for a moment, as we've seen before, that are just for a season. If He went through all of that to purchase their redemption, surely He can take care of them now. 
and this difficulty of life and the fiery trials that they were going through. All of this, listen, all of it should point them to hope in God. Listen, I'm, I'm so grateful that we have redemption and that we have salvation. We have eternal life and it's all been made free to us. It's not with, uh, not with silver and gold. We can't buy it. We can't work for it. It's not by works of righteousness, which we have done. It's not with corruptible things of this world, but rather it has been bought and sealed and paid for by the precious blood of Jesus Christ. He paid the full ransom for you and for me. And all we got to do is accept it. It's absolutely marvelous. So let me ask you this morning. Have you accepted that full payment for your sin through the blood and life and resurrection of Jesus Christ? Are you saved this morning? Are you saved this morning? Has there been a time in your life where you repented of your unbelief of your sin, and by faith called upon Christ to save you? If not, it's a good time to do that. The Bible says, Whosoever shall call upon the name of the Lord shall be saved. There's nothing that we can do nor could do to gain our redemption. Jesus has done it all for us already. He's paid the price for the precious blood of Jesus Christ. I'm thankful for a pure, true redemption found in Jesus and in Him alone. Do you have it? Are you saved? If not, please do not leave this property today until you settle it down. All right? I'll be around. I want to help you.